Open the Bible to Genesis chapter 14. Genesis 14. Sometimes there's, people, there's things happen to our people you don't even know who they are. And um, just because you don't know who they are doesn't mean God doesn't know who they are. And you can pray for them and God will make sure that that prayer gets to the right place. So don't forget to pray for our people that certain ages, um, certain classes, uh, uh, certain uh, works and programs we have in the church sometimes isolate folks from knowing everybody, and we understand that's the way it's going to be. Some people say, well, I don't want to go because I don't like to go to a big church. And I tell them this, you'll always know more people in a big church than you will in a little church. You will. Because you know the same 30 in a little church. In a large church, you start, you meet people every week. And so it just is a, a way to reach people for Christ. And I believe God meant for it to be a big church because on the day of Pentecost, had a pretty good size one. Amen. And so I believe that's all right with God. And, um, I know in the old days when we didn't have much ways to get around, every community had a church because nobody had any way to travel. And now we can, you know, y'all can get in your jets and fly out here and come right on to church. And uh, we're glad. So open your Bible, Genesis 14 tonight. We're, uh, I'm going to go real quickly uh, through our outline and get to where I think I left off. I'm not exactly sure because um, I skipped over to the invitation, so I don't know that I'll um, get there. But we're talking about the Dead Sea War. It was the War of the Dead Sea. It was the actually the first Bible battle that we find in the Scriptures is here in Genesis 14. Now, this chapter uh, records that for us, not all the details, but enough so we can understand not only the uh, physical side of it, and, and uh, 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 that we can see the uh, physical army, but we also can see our spiritual army and how to defeat Satan like Abraham defeated all of those kings in Ketelomar. So uh, we look first of all at that war, verses 1 through 16, and we need an attitude toward war that is biblical. Some people are conscientious objectors, which is not biblical. If you're going to live in a free land, you ought to be willing to fight for a free land. And so that you say, well, I just don't believe thou shalt, the Bible says thou shalt not kill. That is not what that passage means. That passage means thou, do, thou shalt do no murder. That's what the word means. Now, if, you're, if people's got enough sense enough not to read Acts 20 and pull them out of verse so they can live on it. Why don't you read Acts 21 where God said, if man takes a life, his life shall also be taken. All right? So, uh, we, we sometimes have wrong attitudes toward war. Now, some wars we don't need to fight. Some wars we must fight. All right? So, we saw the attitude 
about war. Then we saw the aggression of war in verses 1 through 11. It had, how there was a coalition come together. Four kings got together and was more, marching towards Sodom, taking everything in their past. Catalomar being kind of the chief group, of, chief captain of the, of, the, of the kings. So the five kings of these sinful cities, Sodom, Gomorrah, and three more, they all got together. By the way, Sodom and Gomorrah wasn't the only sinful cities down there. There was at least five of them, we know, and they were all down there, and, and they were horribly sinful, so they decide that they can, uh, or, uh, that they're going to put up a fight. And so in the background of all that, there is two believers. Now, one of them don't look like a believer. You wouldn't think he's a believer, but his name is Lot. He was a worried believer. He was concerned about his family. He was concerned about his future. He was concerned about his fortune. He, he, he had a lot of money there in Sodom. He had a lot of investments in Sodom. He had a lot of buildings in Sodom. He was sitting in the gate, which means he could be bought off in Sodom, which meant he was like crooked politicians today. Oh, you say it don't happen in our town. Huh. What'd you do? Take your brain out and lay it on the table before you came? You know it happens in our town. We see it happen in our town. We even know who does it in our town. Yet they get by with it time after time after time. And so we're looking here at these corrupt, corrupt cities as they try to defend themselves. So there's the coalition. And then there was the conflict. Uh, it seemed this war machine of the north um, had oppressed 12 years, he'd been coming down and stealing from them and maybe putting them under attacks, kind of put a heavy hand on them, been going on for 12 years. And uh, so uh, they had enough. They'd had enough. So he swooped down and moved them down one by one. As every town rebelled, he would just mow them down uh, one by one. He even did it to the giants in verse number five. They, the giants thought they could get together with these four alliances and surely with the giants on their side, they could win, but that didn't happen. It just didn't come about. So they met in Sedim, which is the place of tar pits. And so, you know, this came from the, I believe anyway, it came from the saturated oil supply, which was under the ground. You go to Israel today, they say they have no oil. What they say and what they have is two different things. Now, we, I've never seen any oil there, and they're certainly not going to allow you to see it, but I do believe they have enough oil to where if they got in such a crisis that they could uh, uncap their oil wells and, and, and put it to work, or they could take their refineries and put it to work. And they also have done a lot of creative things with electrical uh, engineering. And so they, they, they're prepared in that particular way. But I believe those tar pits, man, at one time, that lower area, uh, area of Israel right near the Dead Sea was absolutely full of oil. We say, why is it not now? Because when God exploded Sodom and Gomorrah and the other wicked cities, it moved everything around, changed everything from what it possibly looked like. In fact, why in the world would Abraham went down there with his, with his uh, 
cows and his sheep and his goats and his camels and his donkeys. He wouldn't have went down there unless it had been a valley that where they could have eaten, where they could have, he could have cared for his family. It was a, in fact, the Bible calls it a plain. It was a, it was a valley that could be uh, uh, growing things and, and his family could grow in that valley. It was not a, 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 a famine place like it is today, a desert place, but it was a place where Abraham could live and be happy. But there's one thing we need to know. Um, I remember, um, you know, Lot was captured, of course, in verses 11 and 12. And he was captured because he was living in Sodom. You know why some of you can't beat the devil? Because you're living with him. I'm not talking about your wife. I mean, or your husband. <laughs> uh, don't get that mixed up. I mean, you just open the door and let him move right on in your life. And then whenever that temptation comes, oh, I just can't handle it. You know why? You give him a place in your life. Ephesians says, don't give him place. Don't give him a place. He don't deserve a place in your life. If he does, he'll mess it up. But Sodom, Lot said, I'm going to give Sodom a place in my life. Messed him up, didn't it? Messed his whole family up. And that's what happened. The filthiest place in the world. Fighting beside the lowest people in the world. There was Lot. I remember when Bill Clinton was the president, he said he would remove the ban on homosexuals in the military and the no ask, no tell kind of policy now is if you don't ask, I'm going to tell you anyway. And we like it that way. I just tell you, I just do not believe that the average soldier is comfortable fighting with a depraved, corrupt, sinful person who does not even have any concept of or even have any desire to be different. I think, and that's exactly what got a hold to him. He got wrapped up so much in Sodom, that's who he fought with. So Abraham, he got some local sheiks together as allies for emergency's sake. You need some allies for emergency's sake, right? Now, we can do most everything because of the size of our church. We need to do. But there's some battles we need to fight. We need some other churches to come in and ally with us. Uh, the fight against abortion. We need other people to help us with that. The fight of, 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 of uh, gay bathrooms or, or transgender bathrooms. We need folks to help us with that. When we have a problem in the school system and the, and the curriculum is not being taught, you know what? I believe last year scared some parents off. They don't have the courage this year to step up and say, this is not right. You know why? Because they don't want to be identified with the group who did. See, we need some help. We need some allies when it comes to those things. When we fight anything. We need allies. We, could, we don't have to fellowship with them spiritually to fight against moral issues with them. You understand? So, so there's some things, we, and Abraham understood it as well. He said, I need to keep me a few sheiks over here for allies in case of emergencies. So that's what he does. And 
we don't, we don't compromise when we do that. We just cooperate in warfare. Makes sense. You see, anybody with a brain in their head, which we've lost all of ours in America, but anybody with a brain in their head understands that if there's an enemy over here and he wants to take the land that's two countries over from you, that before long he'll want to take the next country, which is one country over from you, and then before long he'll want to take your country. And so what wise people does is when they see an enemy bringing their hordes of people to conquer countries, you say, that's not our business. Let's don't get involved. You'll get involved sooner or later. You'll have to because they'll be on your steps and they'll be stealing what's yours. So Abraham had enough sense to know if he didn't get this thing settled, Kettle Omar would come down and swipe him away too. Y'all with me? Folks, listen, listen they, some of our generals and, and our, our military leaders and, and, and our commander-in-chief, they, they need to read the Bible. They'll find out how to fight war. Did you know many of our commanders have said that their strategic, their, their most strategic plans they got from the Bible? Ain't that good? There's still some men in, in the military that uh, don't think like Lot but thinks like Abraham. And I'm glad for that. So after Lot was freed, he went up there with his army of 318, great big army, and he freed him. And uh, I, I think that, that let, me just, let me just show you something. I'm going to quit do this. Go to Ezekiel 16. I, I want you to see this before I forget it. Go to Ezekiel 16. Okay, you got it? That's a tough one. I know it's a little hard to find. Ezekiel 16. I want you to underline some passages there. We just kind of run over, and I just told you about it, but I didn't say anything about it. Look, Ezekiel 16, look at what God says about Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Now, I'm going to show you after a while why that's so important. As I live, saith the Lord God, Sodom thy sister... Mm. In the book of Revelation, the Bible says Jerusalem is spiritually called Sodom. Remember? Obviously not, but anyway, it is there, and I can show it to you. But as I live, saith the Lord God, Sodom thy sister hath not done, she nor her daughters as thou hast done, thou and thy daughters. Behold, this was their iniquity of thy sister Sodom. It wasn't just sodomy. Look here. Look here. Pride. God hates pride. He resists the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Folks, the arrogance that Americans have is going to cause the greatest destruction maybe this world has ever known one of these days. Because if we're not an arrogant lot, I don't know who is. When these silly women running up and down the roads protesting that they don't have equal rights. I just want to get a hold of one. I told my wife, I'd like to debate one of them. Here's what I'd ask them. What do you need? You got a car? Yeah. You got a house? Yeah. You got underwear? Yeah. You got new dresses? No, they don't wear dresses. You got new, you, you got new hooker clothes? 
God say, you got plenty of jewelry and you sure got plenty of stupidity. It's all over the place. I said, you've got college educations. You've got everything in the world you could possibly need. What more do you want? God help us. I tell you, I believe a bunch of conservatives, they're having, if they bring one of these to Lebanon, we ought to get out there and we ought to find us some of those hot sticks like you used to gouge cows with and we ought to get hit, hit every one of them and then move on where nobody can see you and get another and get them down. <laughs> and praise God for every one of them falls. Amen. They'll get back up. They'll get back up different attitude though. At least the cows Irish don't do, you know. <laughs> or maybe we could just borrow the police tasers. Just a suggestion. But all of us finds ourselves, if we're not careful, a whole lot like Lot. How, listen, how did Noah's world how did Noah's world in this amount of time get to the place it was in the days of Lot? Isn't it amazing? God gave them a brand new world with eight people. And from eight people, we've grown to such unconcern, unbelief, apathy. They're still building, they're still buying, uh, they're still testing, they're emailing, and they're tweeting, and they're twittering, and they're Doing life without God. Scary world when no one is saying God is our solution. My brother Nick didn't tell me this, but I, I, I really like Brother Nick. He's a really wonderful, just a great guy. And he didn't tell me this story, but I happened to come home Sunday. I was just absolutely exhausted. And I sat down on the television, sat down to watch the television. I didn't sit on the television, but I felt like it. But uh, I just flipped it, and it was on PBS. And they were doing a thing about Elvis. And Elvis, you know, most of all, they're trying to make money. Is what they're trying to do. And I'm not giving PBS anything because they're a bunch of liberals. But anyway, um, they was doing this story about Elvis. And it was on gospel music that Elvis had written and recorded and um when Sophie found out Nick played uh, with Elvis she she says can I have your autograph and so Nick brought her a picture with him with Elvis and that's been way back he had sideburns and black he was younger you know black hair and sideburns and he was the shortest guy in the picture you know when they was uh taking the picture so he they told this story they said that uh, you know, he would bring in a, always a Christian song during his performances, and one of them was Sweet, Sweet Spirit in this place. You know, he loved that song, and he, he wouldn't even sing it. He just sat back and, 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 and let the stamps sing Sweet, Sweet Spirit in this place. He said one night they were in the concert. They had it marked off. People were screaming and hollering. Girls were jumping over it and diving over it and throwing stuff at him, and all of a sudden they started hollering, Help! Elvis the king, Elvis the king. He said, stop. Jesus Christ is the king. Made me think a whole lot more of Elvis. And I liked him already, amen. <laughs> but I'm showing you here in Ezekiel chapter 16 
that debauchery in the military will lead to defeat. Look at verse 56. For thy sister Sodom was not mentioned by thy mouth in the day of thy pride. In other words, your pride was just as bad as their sodomy. You ever thought about that? Big proud heads, balloon heads. All happens to us, don't it? Over something. And we get a balloon head. Uh, don't get mad at God because he's already told you he don't like it. Everything we get the glory for, it was his. Not ours. It was his. And so a lot of us get like Lot, don't we? Won't take us long. But look at the action of the world war. First of all, there was the action of the battle in verse number 14. He armed his servants. He didn't suggest negotiations or sanctions or UN proposal or revolution. He, he didn't start any of that. He built a military strong enough to get the job done. Did you know what intimidates other powers from coming against other powers? It's not so much that their uh, trade agreements and that kind of thing or oil agreements or some kind of financial agreements or, or illegal immigration. That has nothing to do with it. If you are strong militarily, they're going to think twice about taking you on. But we've let our country not only, we're not even close to strong, we're weak militarily, and this world no longer fears the United States of America. But they feared Abraham because he had more than just 318. He had 319, but the 19th one was God, and that's all he needed. And word was out everywhere. That Abraham had God on his side. So look, look at the action of the brotherhood in verse 14. When he heard his brother was taken. You say, I thought he was his nephew. No, well, he was his nephew, but spiritually he was his brother. You see? Lot was his nephew, but he's also his brother. Some of you are kin. You know, my wife's my wife, but she's also my sister. Now, now that I'm talking about spiritually, not physically. Don't get, listen, we're, 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 not that far, we're not that far up in the mountains, all right? Listen, be careful. But Abraham despised Sodom and its sin. So why would he go after her? He despised what was going on down there, but he loved Lot. So he armed them and they took off and it was that 318 went to rescue the lots that lived down where God would eventually destroy. I got to thinking about that. Chris, I, I, I know you don't have spells when I preach, but just that way you can think sanely. Imagine if we had 318 people go out on visitation Monday night. Why you say we wouldn't probably reach anybody? Might find a lot. Lot was saved, but he was so backslid, so carnal, living so looking lost, 
that the best thing could happen was for him to be retrieved by the godly, which nobody could take in his 318 men. So what a great testimony of Jesus Christ was that Abraham wasn't afraid to march into enemy territory and deliver his backslid nephew. Imagine if 318 went out from Hillcrest Baptist Church on any Monday night and just started knocking on doors. 318 are just going down to the square. Can't get no parking place because they took them all out. But we can walk down to the square. And down on the square, imagine what folks, well, who are all these people? They're nuts. Of course, they come from Hillcrest. Everybody over is crazy. But what, can you imagine what we do to see 318 people marching up and down the streets of Lebanon? We can't get five or six, seven, eight, nine or ten. Something wrong with that. That means we've got some other people backslid who's not with Lot. Okay. So he took up arms for action. He trained in his arms for action. And Abraham rescued many people. And so I think as we look at this, this is the second part of chapter 14. And I've got time to attack it tonight. So here we go. We've got 20 minutes to attack. Starting, we need to do all the way through verse 14. And we're doing it in two parts, remember? I said... We're doing it physically, then we're doing it spiritually. All right, we move now to the strength that we have after victory. Strength we have after victory. And it's outlined similar to the first one. First thing we have is the war. Second thing we have is the worship. Third thing we have is the witness. The war is in verses 1 through 16. The worship's in verse 17 through 20. And the witness is in verse 21 through 24. The war was the victory of Abraham to rescue his nephew Lot. This is practical, what he did. But for us today, if we're going to rescue any Lots, it's become spiritual. Y'all ain't getting this. I, I want you to hear it. You see, after every triumph, there tends to be a quick temptation. Not a slow one, but a quick one. But God says in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, that he will not allow us to face temptation unprepared. He says it this way, that he'll allow a way of escape. In other words, I'm going to prepare you for this temptation that you will not lose it if you want to. Okay? So, I want you to keep this in mind and write this line down if you don't have it. So before the king of Sodom came, the king of Salem or Jerusalem came. You see, it was the time of worship that prepares you for the test of this world. Do you understand that? If you don't worship on Sunday morning, you're not going to prepare it for the test on Tuesday night. Before you're ready to face Sodom and all of its filth, you must bow before the Savior in all of his love. 
And so this victory of war came because of his worship. You see, all of our victories come because of our worship. They don't because we, not because we're so strong. And not because we've got anything that anybody else can't have. It comes because of our worship. Hear me, church. When Abraham returned, he met two kings, Bera, Sodom, which means burning. Melchizedek means is Salem, which means peace. You know the word shalom. Well, hippies, shalom, you know, this was, had a circle around it. But anyway, you, you know what I'm talking about. But when we say shalom, we go to Israel, they say shalom to you, it's peace. And so here, Abraham had to choose between two kings who represented two ways of life. Does he move into Sodom and protect them and keep them from all of this mess? Nope. But what he does do is he makes a choice with the other king, Melchizedek, because he knows that the only way to save his family is to keep them out of that filthy, vulgar, dirty, corrupted, perverted environment of Sodom. Because captured or not, they went right back to the same old Sodom. Now look, there's, there's four things in worship. Number one, his title. I'll probably not get through, but, but help me with it. His title, or end title of worship, is Melchizedek, king of Salem. Notice what it says, priest of the most high God. Now listen, a priest and a king could never be united in one place person except by special design and that was in Jesus Christ he's only only one a priest and a king could not be united in one person that's why in the Bible the kings did their thing and the priests did their thing and if the king tried to do the priest thing God would mess them up and if the priest tried to do the king thing God would mess them up y'all with me you remember a guy by the name of Uzziah? And Uzziah was just doing real well. He was just whipping people. They was conquering things. Oh, they was doing it right and left. But all of a sudden, he decided he got the big head. Somebody put a little air in his balloon, and his old head drew. And he said, I think I'll just go in here and offer a little sacrifice. Throw a little incense. And they said, you better not do that. Well, I'm the king. Yeah, but you're not the priest. So he said, I'll do it anyway. And when he did, the moment he threw that censer in, his hand turned leprosy, covered his body. Leprosy in the Bible is always a type of sin and its erosion of our life. There's entitled. Melchizedek, meaning king of righteousness. He was, that's where Jerusalem, the word Salem is peace. That's where they, Jerusalem gets their name from. But he also knew that the only way to have peace is to be right with God. Right? So, 
uh, he no doubt used Romans 5, 1 to let them know if you're going to be declared righteous, you have to become the way of faith in Jesus Christ. So this is not just messing around. This is entitled here, Righteous and Peace Met in Melchizedek. Why? Because he was a type of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was a type. And probably the best type that I can find in all the Old Testament, or at least in a, in a small portion of Scripture, you find the type of Melchizedek. Let me give you a verse, 85, Psalm 85, 10. Righteousness and peace has kissed each other. When? In Jesus. The only way. Look, Isaiah 32, 17. And the work of righteousness shall be peace, and the effect of righteousness, quietness and assurance forever. So we, if we're going to go to worship, we need to understand who we're worshiping. We worship in title. We worship the fact that it is the Lord God Jehovah that we worship. We've got to know who he is. We don't just get to pick who we worship. We've got to worship the right one, right? But secondly... Not only in title, but in type. Melchizedek is deliberately introduced like he is so he could remain a, a beautiful human type of Jesus Christ. Now, I've got to hurry, but look, he was a type of Christ in Calvary. Let me tell you why. Because Abraham acknowledges him instantly. He acknowledges him completely. He acknowledges him without question. And the priest of the Most High God. Whoa, 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 what did I say? A king could not personify himself in a priest, right? Couldn't have a king and priest in the same body. But here you do, why? It's a type of Jesus Christ. He's showing us there's one coming that's going to be Lord, king, and high priest. Look, this is good. This priesthood represented a fear, better priesthood, or a far better priesthood than Aaron. You see, Aaron, Aaron, there are some symbols and types in Aaron's life, but, 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 but Aaron cannot even come close to typifying Jesus like Melchizedek does. See, what it was, we're to see about Jesus in him. First of all, we're to see that he was flesh. When Jesus came to this world, he was flesh. Look at your Bible, and you can find it in Hebrews 5, verses 6 through 10. Just underline those verses. Go read them. I don't have time tonight, but he was a type of Christ because he was flesh. Melchizedek pictures the humanity of our priest in heaven and yet covers his only begotten son status. Both of them right there. That's why Hebrews 4 said that we can come boldly before him in the throne of grace that we may find grace to help in time of need. Why? Because he has been tempted in all points like as we are, yet he did not sin. And he is our high priest today. He takes up for us. 
He said, I shed my blood for him. I know Glenn Denton's a sorry bum. I know he messes up all the time. I know he loses his temper. I know every flaw about him. But I saved him, and my blood covers him. Keep him saved, my father. He says. That's why he is a great type. Great type. You can also check Hebrews chapter 7, verse 4. We need one who is flesh when we need strength for temptation. When you go against temptation, you've got to know that somebody has faced it and won before you did. And his name was Jesus. Now, I'm going to quit right there because y'all going to forget everything else I say because you want to go home. I saw you look at your watch. But I want you to look, I want you to go home and study. Study Hebrews 5, 6, 7, 8, 9. Read those, and then remember what's back here in Genesis 14. Will you do that? Read those parts of Hebrews. Go back to Genesis 14, and you'll find that all Paul is doing in the book of Hebrews is he's taking Melchizedek and showing these Jews as he was a type of the Messiah, the anointed one. And... That one that we've received as our Savior has already become flesh and dwelt among us. And there's nothing that we'll ever see that he hadn't faced and won. So we can claim the victory because God will not let you, if you are prepared, fall to temptation. The way we fall is we're not prepared.